This is Pete Moore wanted to officially announce the release of Time to Win Again, 52 takeaways from team sports to ensure your business success. I wrote this book over the last year. I think you're going to love it. Good to great meets Where's Waldo. Pick them up for your team. Time to win in 2022. Happy to come to your club, your studio, your company, and talk about ways we can optimize business and win going forward. Go Halo. This is Pete Moore, Halo Talks, NYC on location, Galway, with my good fast friend, Connor O'Loughlin, coming in from Glowfox, who is the sponsor of a special drink at the Time to Win Again event in Dallas. Connor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Pete. Awesome. And a quick shout out to Joanna Stahl, who uh, works at Glowfox, has been a good friend of the square for a very, very long time. Uh, so, Connor, why don't you start off and tell us how the uh, the brand name uh, Glowfox came to be and uh, the evolution of that, and then we'll talk about you and the company. Sure, and I wish I actually had a, a, a better story to start on. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't a fantastic, insightful uh, story about how, how we chose a, a name for the company, but we, we started off as a professional services business. Um, so I used to play professional rugby, and then I transitioned from rugby into yeah, just back into tech. And um, we were working across a range of industries and doing basically uh, tech development. And we saw an opportunity to build a product in an industry I was very passionate about. Uh, we, we saw a lot of, lot of uh, uh, opportunity there. And so we started, started building um, uh, a gym management software um, that was uh, providing services for a, a new type of fitness entrepreneur. And I think with the name, we, we, Started with Reservio because it was more around, you know, the ability for these businesses to allow them to reserve bookings for classes and scheduling. And then, you know, we saw that, that we felt that the, the industry just lacked a really innovative technology leader and we wanted to, to replace the incumbents. So we, we changed the name um, to Glowfox and it actually was uh, was one of just a few over a few points with the founders and we were on a um, on a name generator and we wanted something that had six letters, had a dot com. It sounded like it was something global. Um, so we landed on it and it just seemed to work. I like it. I like it. Well, there's a funny story about a, um, there was an investment bank out of Minneapolis and there was a guy named Goldsmith and he wanted to set up a firm and it made it seem like he had a partner. So he basically sat down with a bottle of whiskey, opened up the dictionary and he got to the word Agio and, he, and it became Goldsmith Agio. There really wasn't a guy named Agio. It just like that's when he got to the to the name in in the in the dictionary that he's like, all right, this sounds pretty cool. So yeah. so Glow Fox, it is. Um, yeah, it, it is a catchy name. I think uh, you know, a lot of companies um, you know, get get a name and then stick with it. And it's like, well, you know, you don't know how to spell it, or you know, they gotta explain what it means, or you know, so on and so forth. So um, I like the name. I think it's good. We could do like a glow drink. Uh, which is kind of what we we're trying to do at the uh, at the trade show. Um, and, and anybody who played team sports is, uh, you know, part of the square because we really do believe that what you learn on the field is applicable um, to business. So, you know, when you start out with the professional services firm, you know, were you working with a a specific health club or a gym client, and you said, "Hey, like I'm trying to jerry rig what you're currently doing. It's just not working for us. So let's re-engineer this." Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was in that, that professional services business. We were working across a range of industries and, um, 
and then a customer um, who was running a fitness studio, a multidiscipline fitness studio, um, was looking for an app for their members to book in uh, for the classes and for, you know, be able to kind of manage their own memberships. And we, we set in to have a look at it and we said, obviously, you know, to price this individually for you, it's going to be prohibitive. Um, but there's nothing really on the market that was really helping them really establish their own brand and establish their own connection with their members. And as we, we did more market analysis, we felt that there was a huge opportunity where um, the market has been underserved, the expectations of end members have changed, and these types of fitness business owners that were creating more engaged business models were kind of more pioneering and progressive. So we really lent into it, and we, we used that initial customer, um, which was called PureFit out, out in Galway, um, as an early adopter. We, we got customers. We like went out in the streets and knocked on doors and, and found a ton of other customers that looked a lot like them, started building it from there, and then um, got off the island pretty quickly and got into the U.S. market to really kind of test our, 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 our product market fit there, and so it just really evolved. Yeah. So when you look, you know, you're a rugby player, so you probably don't see many things that intimidate you. Um, so, you know, when you looked at the U S market and you saw the incumbents there, um, you know, what gave you the, uh, the right or, you know, the pathway to say, Hey, look, I know you guys are doing a nice job. I know you got venture capital, you got growth equity, but you know, I got something here that I built, you know, to, manage and solve the frustrations of these clients. I get it. And you're going to get your market share. I'm going to get my market share. I might take some of it from you, you know, but I feel confident that I built a platform that can, you know, punch against you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. Good question. And I think like with us, we, we went to the U S because we had a very narrow focus on the type of business that we wanted to serve. So we actually went really uncomfortably narrow. We said, this is exactly the type of business model. We only have our guardrails in fitness. We, we don't serve anything outside of that. And even within that, we were around these businesses that were, you know, trying to engage your members to get them back in using the services, kind of really established a very strong brand identity with them. So for us, it was around really speaking to that type of customer, creating a very clean, elegant platform that was modern, that wasn't overly complex. It was very intuitive, easy to use. And it came back to those frustrations like you're solving those frustrations that that you're talking about, the frustrations around acquiring new members, streamlining operations, and giving your members an exceptional experience that retains them. So that kind of discipline of focus of what our ideal customer profile looked like um, and the, the discipline of keeping to that and hiring people in the industry that knew it, and then really just positioning the business as, look, our service and our place in the world is building successful fitness businesses that look like this. And we use technology to enable that. So I think they were the, the things that were core at the outset and they're still, you know, they're still really embedded in our DNA and what we're about. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, as, as a analogy, you know, uh, you don't know this, but 20 years ago, I started a software company that was basically doing, it was called fitness insight. Uh, and it was doing online fitness, nutrition, Salesforce management, um, uh, websites, email marketing, drip campaigns, and um, in order to generate revenue, we basically, you know, took on analogous businesses. So if you had a multi-unit, you know, uh, I remember we did something for like a seafood, you know, like distribution company that had, 
you know, and we kind of convinced ourselves like, Hey, you know, for 25 grand, we could build this. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. And until it's not, you know, yeah. and then it's like, all right, well, we got to change every single thing that refers to fitness. And now we got to change it to like their, you know, their, their nomenclature, if you will, of like, here's the yeah. words they use in their industry. And then you're like, wow, like we've got a whole separate division now with only one client. And nobody wants to be in the seafood industry that works at this company. Um, so how disciplined are you when you kind of see a big fish, as to use an analogy, with my seafood, um, and you say, wow, we kind of can do that, but, and there's a big revenue opportunity, but like, that's just not what we do. How do you, how do you keep the guardrails on when you got VC money and you got to get excited and you're like, hey, my stuff's going to work and it scales, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 one of these ones that's very hard to do because like that that big fish comes along, they're a great brand, they got great validation. You you know that they're gonna be a big portion of revenue. Um, but on what terms, right? Because you, you take that on and they be, you become an, an in-house technology shop for them, and then you you basically hand over your own roadmap and then you you lose your own identity. So it's it's absolutely critical to be able to say no. And I think that's one of the, the hardest and most important jobs you have is what you're not going to do and what you're going to say no to. Because you can you, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And right, right. I, I, I think it's tough like that. So, um, but like with us, we're still 80% of our, our business is independent gyms and studios. And so our roadmap and we've been disciplined around this has been very much dictated by what we feel the challenges they have now um, and try and get behind it, behind that. Not exactly what they're saying that they want, more like the challenges they're trying to solve and then combine that with, with our own insights and where we think the industry is going and then use that to really inform our decisions around it. But be very deliberate and strategic about who you go after then at the top end of the market to make sure that they are kind of progressive and they are going to take us in the right direction um, and be a, a type of business model that we feel is, is more visionary and future-proof. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. And, and just to, to, to make a, a, a side comment here, when we're selling a company through integrity square, you know, if it's software business or products business um, inevitably some point in due diligence, someone says, Hey, what's your customer concentration? You know, so there might be some awesome protein bar, that, um, you know, everybody loves. And then you see like 80% of their revenues coming from like Costco or Walmart. And they basically own your company, right? Cause they own your, your pricing and they, 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 they you're at their, uh, at their whim of, you know, basically taking away your shelf space. And I think in the same thing in a software company, you know, someone's going to revalue or discount your business. If you're in a position where, you know, your, your main customer, you know, basically dictates your existence. Um, so I think that's a really, Interesting point. Um, so, you know, as you built the business and kind of started in Galway, you know, stayed, stayed in Ireland for a period of time and then started to go into Europe and into North America, what were some of the key hires, you know, and maybe take it from, you know, like your rugby team, like, you know, what, what, what are the most important players and, and like, in what order do you bring them on? Yeah, I think I think the, the most important are your, your co-founders and, and that's one that you can't really um underestimate the impact it, it has and this, like you know finding people that share your beliefs and values but bring something different and bring something complementary so i was lucky that that my founding team you know that we actually 
managed to achieve that. We've got a, a very kind of passionate founding team. One of my co-founders used to run one of the, the largest uh, wellness events in, in Europe and coming from the industry. The other one is very uh, technical, run uh, complex IT program management uh, rollouts in, in software for um, over 15 years. So like coming in with that, that, uh, that founding team were, with complementary skill sets was very important. Then as we grew, we wanted to get the balance right between finding people who had seen more of the movie and had more of the experience, um, um, but also was the right fit for our stage of business and the ambitions that we had. So it's, you know, through our, through our VCs and through our network, we we're, you know, we we're exposed to a lot of these folks and, and we've, uh, we've, we've made some mistakes and we've made some great, great hires too. And, and I think, you know, our executive team has a really good balance with people who've served in the industry, served in, in large, large growth, uh, venture backed SaaS companies, um, that have, that have done very similar things. And, and I think like when you look across the team, the functional areas that, that are crucial are, um, first and foremost, you know, your people and your organization, mm-hmm. like somebody who's coming in, really helping you work at, work at your hip with creating that, that best place for people to work, being a magnet for incredible talent and really putting in place the, the working environment, which fosters innovation, which nurtures, supports people, um, is, is, is absolutely critical. You're, you're, your CTO and your head of product is 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 also you know it's also a role that that is uh, is so right to get it's so important to get right and making sure that it's linked as well to what your your product strategy and vision and then a, a key transformational hire has been our CFO who previously uh, was VP of Finance uh, for Zendesk going through the whole journey and she's uh, we found her in Cork which is only about an hour and a half away from Galway. Oh, um, nice. so, uh, She's really turned uh, turned the needle for us uh, since joining the team, and I think I think that's when you know you've got a good hire where where you come in and and you just don't spend time in that function anymore because somebody's just come in and yeah. just put, uh, put a lot of process and infrastructure around it. That's great. So you know you went out and you raised a round of um, of twenty five million. I'm assuming that on the sources and uses of the twenty five million, you know you didn't have that earmarked to the dollar. And say like, hey, I need $25 million. Let me show you like dollar for dollar where I'm going to spend it. So how'd you get comfortable with taking on that size of a check? How much of it just kind of sits on the balance sheet as opportunistic? And, you know, VCs, when they see a company that they want to back, they want to put as much money as they can behind it, you know, within reason um, to own a, a material stake so they can allocate the resources and potentially get the return. So can you talk a little bit, you know, without breaching any confidentiality or things that aren't disclosed, you know, how you got to that number and, you know, where you, where you used most of it or, you know, segmented it out. Yeah. So I think we're, with our, our funding uh, trajectory, when we, we first raised our seed round with, with Notion Capital and, and Partech Ventures, and, and that was a, a, a more humble 2 million uh, raise. And, and that at that time got us, got us about, you know, two years. And, um, and then we, we were a different type of company. We were probably in about about forty people, and we had we had grown then um, to uh, to prove out a lot of the unit economics, which the unit economics are us for like we're a monthly recurring software business. So what we get back from our customers in their first few months doesn't you know doesn't offset what it, we we spent to acquire them. So right. in order for us to have confidence in accelerating growth and continuing to spend we need to know that the unit economics like the churn like 
you know, the acquisition cost, um, the lifetime value that all of these stack up. And we have, you know, a strong handle on our unit economics um, internally. And that definitely gave us the confidence and external investors the confidence to, to continue to invest in accelerating growth. And given the fact that our growth rates, um, you know, pre-pandemic were well in excess of 100%, we grew even throughout the pandemic, just down to this year. And um, what we touched on earlier, the diversity of revenue, we've still got a, a big, uh, about 30% of our revenue comes from um, Australia and, and New Zealand, which were largely open throughout. So we kind of benefited from that and we're back on hyper growth now. And where, where it goes, you know, 40% of our um, our people are in R&D. So a big majority of our, our investment is in um, developing solutions for, for the market and ones that are going to future-proof us. So we are very kind of long-term thinking in this, um, but we've, we've put in place a, lo- a lot of resources there. Um, and then um, the rest of it um, goes in, in accelerating our growth. We were 110 people at the start of last year, and we've just passed 200 that we're going to close out the year. And we're, we're kind of putting in the bank a, a good solid growth uh, number this year. So we're, you know, we're, we're pretty ambitious, but I, I think, you know, that's, that's reflected in, in too, in the, the, the money that has come in behind us to, to help, you know, help fulfill that ambition. Yeah. So let me ask you, uh, to, to get into your psyche. Um, and, and I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I'm also a banker. Um, and I've ran some software companies. So, you know, for the first couple of years, like my mentality, and I'm sure your mentality was like, I got to make sure I meet payroll on the first and the 16th. Right. Or l- at least within a couple of days after that. Right. Um, so I got to bootstrap it. Then I got to get to break even. And now I got a VC that puts money in there. Like, Hey man, like it's okay to burn cash. You know, like you could burn, 500,000 a month if you want, or like a million a month. And you're like, dude, I'm not sure I'm cool with that. So how do you kind of think about that? And how have you kind of changed your psychological perspective? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I completely <laughs> relate to that. I like we were bootstrapped um, for we bootstrapped the development of this for about 18 months using the revenue from the services side of the business to fund the growth. Throughout right. that time, for about three years, I didn't take a salary myself because I, I did retired. three and a half. I was at on my last software company. So I hear you. Yeah. That's something it, I wanted to high five about either, but. <laughs> but but it's great. It gives you that kind of discipline to to be a bit bit scrappier and 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 be more cost conscious and get to those next next uh, inflection points and milestones where it can uh, it can give you a little bit of a release valve with with money coming in. Um, but you can't kind of continue that either. And that's been something that I've definitely changed in in my mentality. Has been that. In order to, you know, in order for us to be the best place for people to work, to be the best place for our customers to be, we need to create that environment where people can have space to innovate and to, you know, to to be creative, to to have a healthier work-life dynamic. And by constantly focusing on trying to squeeze every last bit out of every resource, it, it can create that uh, ingrained environment that just wouldn't wouldn't be conducive with that so i i think like it's it's been more reflected in the benefits that come with you know taking advantage of the market opportunity kind of not sweating and um, not sweating the small stuff as uh, not, not sweating every cent and every dollar as much and kind of looking at the bigger picture of it um it's definitely helped and and, and again it comes back to what we want to achieve as a, as a business and uh, we don't want you know to be this and uh, lifestyle business, we want to be, you know, a global market leader and yeah. um, serving both SMB and enterprise. And to do that, 
you know, we need to, we need to get a lot of things right. So we can't be kind of focused over here at these kind of small wins when you've got bigger things to, uh, to focus on. Yeah. There's something that came up uh, a couple of months ago, Peloton um, gave the, the market their, um, their forecast for, for 2021. And they said, we're going to um, lose $525 million of EBITDA in 2021. I'm doing the math and I'm like, that's like a million for a day. I'm like, that's not something I would ever personally be able to like say, I, I want to run that company. Like that's, that's yeah. a little bigger than my brain's comfortable getting around. Um, you know, so I, yeah, that's a lot. So, you know, as, as you take a look, there's obviously a lot of consolidation going on in the market. Um, you know, you got, uh, you know, a buy versus build strategy, um, you know, 40% of your uh, people and, and, uh, and expenses are going into R and D. How do you think about, talking acquisitions, you know, cause as you mentioned before, which I'm a big believer in is like, look, I can get my guys to develop whatever we want. I just got to allocate the time, mm. um, you know, they have the, the intellectual firepower and coding to basically build anything. So how, how do you think about that? Do you become an acquirer or do you say, hey, look, I want to make sure my platform is, is fully integrated. And the best way to do that is just kind of build it out myself. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big question. Cause like, there's, I think it's, it depends really is the answer. Um, it depends on, on what you're, you're looking to acquire to, to provide value for customers. For us, we feel very opinionated around that customer journey um, from acquiring a customer right through uh, to being a, a kind of a loyal advocate. So with, um, with us, we, we're, we always defer to, to building and we haven't done any acquisitions. We've done partnerships and we've been selective even with the partnerships because we're, you're only as strong as the partner you're bringing in. And what we feel is too that, that for our customers, they, they rely on us. We're the operating system. Um, they rely on us to, to bring in partners that, that are helping to achieve what, what we need to achieve. Yeah, but we've done, we've done this um, uh, buys where we've done, like, say, integrations with our reporting suite with Looker, for example, or integrations with our mm-hmm. processing with, with Stripe and, and others because we don't want to become um, a fully uh, a payment processing company or a, a full BI um, system. So I, I think where it comes to, to those things, it make, makes sense. But from an acquisition standpoint, um, we have no appetite to acquire any um, any kind of complementary software systems that we feel would just bolt on. I, I, I've seen that in the market and I don't really feel that works. I think if we were going to do any acquisitions, they, they'd be more likely token acquisitions where we, we, we'd look to, to maybe you know, inquire into the customer base in, in a market that we were, we were just entering into. Um, but that might change over time, but I, I think that's, that's, you know, that's how we're approaching it at the moment. Gotcha. So I got one question related to, you know, how the software works. And my question is related to you go into a company and you say, look, this software has been built off of other people's frustrations that we've solved. And I want you to run your business like what I've learned and the software works to optimize what these other clients had frustrations on. So I'm not here to kind of change the interface or I'm not here to like customize this for you. You know, like this is a SaaS platform and I'm not in the, I'm not a web development professional services company anymore. So how do that, how do you kind of get over the hurdle or do you say, maybe that's somebody you say no to because like you got to run it the way I want you to run it because this isn't just like my idea. It's, it's proven. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I like we, we've, 
we've launched our, our new kind of automation uh, suite where we have these um these series of messages that go out that help exactly like these businesses to nurture uh, members and we've able to prove that certain flows in day one day three day five via sms or email are acquiring members at a greater rate than than the more standard and um, control base but to that point you're still gonna have to enable these businesses to have some sort of customization in that so i think you know it comes down to where you give flexibility and where you give that customization um in terms of business rules and settings we've tried to be as flexible as possible on those um, in terms of creating white labeled experiences for their members in, in the app um, for through the website portal, through APIs, you know, giving giving flexibility there, we feel is important. But um, we we do we do have internally opinions around where the um, how broad those flexibilities can can be because for us as a company we can't kind of maintain multiple code bases are are too much complexity in the system. So I, I think strategically. You know, where we, where we sit down and on an annual basis, and we 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 map out what we're going to do. And um, again, it comes back to what we're not going to do and what we're not going to give flexibility on, and just maintaining and um, firm on that. And I think invariably, if you're focusing on the value you're trying to deliver for the customers, they get it because that's what they're trying to achieve. It's like, do you want it to be red or, or blue, or do you want to increase your retention rate or or get more revenue? So right. if you're able to prove out the value, it, it helps overcome any objections in that regard. Yeah, I mean, hearkening back to our my software company 20 years ago, we wanted to say yes to everyone. And we were running, it wasn't called SaaS then, it was called an ASP, Application Service Provider. And then one day I remember, and this guy, Shane Edmonds, who was our CTO, and I was the CTO of, of Forte Fitness. And I said, hey, can we just do this one change? He's like, bro, do you understand we're already running like 80 different web platforms? Like there is no ASP right now. I'm running 80 sites on an AT&T server you know, in a server farm in Phoenix, like, don't tell me that, that you think we're running a software business anymore. Like I'm running a custom web development company. So that's a great takeaway. And I think people should think about that, yeah. you know, going forward in whatever business you're in, you know, figure out what it is and then stay within the guardrails uh, yeah. of that. So in closing here, you got any business quotes or things that, you know, people say, Hey, you know, that Connor said that, you know, what's your, uh, what's your go-to or what, what do you got post-it notes in your, uh, on your computer screen of, <laughs> oh my god and uh, put me in the spot and um, what what do i like to say um i i do like that saying to be the best place um uh sorry sequentially you need to be the best place for people to work to be the best place for your customers to be and um, so like for me like number one is is team and um, the team you build is the company you build um so like our our kind of maniacal focus and discipline and rigor around how we recruit and retain people you know has been really the cornerstone for for any success that we have and and for success going forward so if i was given one piece of advice um um and even kind of like looking back on my own career um it's been something that that's nearly changed in my psyche like at the start you're all excited about the the solution you're solving for that initial customer, the product you're building, how cool it looks and how brilliant right. it is. And but then over time, it's like you look around and you, you hear about how people speak about working in Glowfox and you don't really set out a company to support people's career goals, but um, you realize that it's it's something you're massively proud of. And also it is the most important you know thing that's going to help you drive success. So so focusing on that is, is probably uh, uh, number one. 
It wasn't a very concise quote. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Um, so if you're looking for a good job, then go to the Glowfox website and uh, put it in your application. So, <laughs> hey, man, it was great to meet you in person in Dallas. Um, thanks yeah. for being part of the uh, the time to win again. And, um, you know, your your athletic background and prowess, you know, obviously it dovetailed into building a really strong business. So welcome to the Halo sector. Feel free to use the Halo term as necessary. It's copyright free, uh, royalty free. Uh, want everyone to be part of the Halo sector and create the Halo effect, and you're definitely doing that. So great to see you, and uh, look forward to a strong 2022, my friend. Thanks, Pete. And go easy on me on the caricature, will you? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, we, we have, we have uh, final edits on those, so don't try and get involved. <laughs> All right, man. Good to see you. All right, Thanks. talk to you soon. Okay. Happy you. New Year. Bye.